broadcasting live from the gates of hell, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. And today we are going to be talking about one of my most anticipated moves of the year, and I think it, it lived up pretty well to the hype, Robert Eggers' The Northman. I am... So excited to talk about this with you, man. I we, we got to go see an early screening, a little late now, but, you know, whatever. It's still still all kosher. Truly, I think it's going to be hard to beat this movie. I know it's a little early in the year, but, like, this was so good. It might be my favorite thing I will see this year. And yeah, Robert Eggers usually checks that box for me anyway, but, I don't know. This was such a such a fun time. I can't wait to get into it with you. Yeah, well, well we'll definitely discuss, I think, especially where it ranks in our Eggers lineup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Triple feature. But we do have a couple of pieces of news to get into. First up, the first look at Thor Love and Thunder ha- has come to us. We've got Lady Thor, Jane Foster. She is here. With and... repieced Mjolnir, which is fun. It's not yeah, just like dimension cool. hopping. It's just like actually just in, in world. And, and Korg. Thank goodness is oh, back. Yeah. He seems to be like the main sidekick this movie, yes. which is super tight. I'm very much into that because I think, and I almost brought this up with you, Seamus, before the show, and I saved it. I was Ooh. a good, I was a good little <laughs> lad, and I saved my thoughts for the podcast. And I think there's been this interesting, and it's all Jojo Rabbit's doing. There's been this interesting tide turn on Taika Waititi since Ragnarok came out because and I certainly felt this way when Ragnarok came out I think there was this attitude that like he was the future of what like Marvel could be Mm -hmm. and then it was a completely new take on Thor it's basically a reboot of Thor yeah Ragnarok more or less and it works really well it's really funny it's got a fresh tone for that franchise you know i mean it's still quippy and pretty much in line with the tone of the rest of the films but it does have you know what we do in the shadows hunt for the wilder people Mm -hmm. definitely that style of humor is not lost when put through the marvel filter and i think that he works really well in that sandbox and i'm excited to see him come back to it even though i will say the vibe that's being pushed by this trailer with the text is not really being supported. Like, this 80s, fantastical, heavy metal, Dungeons & Dragons thing that they're going for. Well, you know, you see it in the the trailer. They're obviously going to have a very grandiose Guardians intro that they're going to, you know, have him peel away from, and he's kind of, like, biting off of that. Because the vibe of the the trailer and the promo stuff does feel a little more Star-Lord than Thor, if I'm being honest, but... Exactly. Well, I think the... I think the vibe that they're trying to push is Star-Lord. The visuals and the music aren't saying... They don't agree to me with, like, the the vibe that the movie claims it's going for. And I think the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are really good at delivering on the Mm. kind of surreal 80s heavy metal album cover looks right yeah that they think that they are delivering and the only thing in this trailer that really stood out to me as like oh that plays as that kind of imagery is when korg and thor are standing and they see that i don't know if it's a dragon or like a god oh yeah it's a very god of war looking image that's what i thought too yeah that to me seems like oh that looks like an 80s heavy metal metal album cover but the rest of it doesn't play that way I mean, to me. and i wish it was I, I wish it was playing a little bit heavier and harder with that yeah i'm i'm interested to see the follow-through on all of this promo stuff when it, when we finally get to come through with this movie i'm very excited about it i i think you might be right it might be just a little bit misleading in the way they're doing it but i also am really enjoying the idea of this being so much more of a it's if it, I know it's like a lot of other characters are coming in here, but it feels so removed and solo solo-y for, for Thor. And yeah. they can they can totally lean into that stuff if they want to because it seems like it won't necessarily be so much ripple effect like how Ragnarok was, you know, Loki's here and you got the Hulk, they're obviously gonna be doing endgame things, but or I guess at the time Infinity War things, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I think I think they could lean into it harder. And I think that there is a very real possibility that they will. Obviously, we have seen very little of what we're going to be doing in this movie because 
90% of this was like the first 10 minutes. You know, you got your training oh, montage, definitely. you got your guardians 100%. leaving through a wormhole, you know. Yeah, I don't you think know. guardians show back up for the third act? I bet they show up for the post credit scene. One of the seven post credit scenes. One of the, yeah. They'll 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 pop back up like, I wonder what Thor's doing. And then they'll like <laughs> cut to him like getting his ass kicked and then it'll cut back like, ah, he's probably fine. And then roll more credits. I hope that Korg delivers in this movie because I think I could not, I, there was a point where I literally could not stop laughing in the theater when I saw Ragnarok back in 2017. <laughs> like when he's talking about his pamphlets. Yeah. His, revo- his very like, gentle I, revolution talk. I couldn't stop laughing. And he annoyed me in... so much in Endgame. Yeah, I didn't love the way that was handled. The Fortnite jokes and uh, I don't really remember what much else he does in in that, if I'm being honest. He's got his Hawaiian shirt and he's yeah. just like, he's just a, a counterpart to Lazy Thor, Dude Thor, Fat Thor, whatever you want to right. call that version of Thor. And I hope that he's more than that in this. I hope he's back to being more of like a full character which is i mean because i loved him in ragnarok and i felt like he was like so many other Mm. characters who are great side characters in the movie they're introduced in immediately get sidelined and like don't know they don't know what to do with them or how to write them i think that's until recently what happened to sam wilson like winter soldier he's so good in that movie yeah and then for 10 years they don't know what to do with him yeah 100 percent I know exactly what you mean. And I'm hoping that that almost opens up more, like... I know Cork is such a funny and light kind of character, but I almost want to see him, like, snap on Thor in, in a scene, if, if that makes sense. Like, get more real than we've ever seen him to, to draw out a little bit more of that depth, even though, I mean, again, he is just, like, a bubble made out of rocks for whatever reason. But he is such a sweet funny bubble made of rock shame yeah oh of course yeah i think i think throwing him out into the big wide world with thor where he could just like point out stuff that's happening and, and we'll, we'll, we're gonna have some good good stuff from him i think so too i hope so at least but we've got we've got some we've got some harder news Ooh. there has been a, a a loss in the family changing gears to sad unfortunately the recently titled fast x the 10th installment in the mainline Fast and the Furious saga has unfortunately lost director Justin Lin, who has decided to step away from the project. He is the director of, let me make sure I'm getting this right, uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast 5, Fast and Furious 6, Fate of the Furious, and F9. That sounds right. And he also uh, directed one of his earliest films, Better Luck Tomorrow, which is actually the place where Han Solo was originally created, who is now, of course, a fan favorite Fast and the Furious character. I, 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 what do you think about this one, Seamus? What do you make of this? I am super sad. You know, as much as we praise Vin Diesel, like he, like he, Vin Diesel is the heart, but, you know, the soul of a lot of this really did come from Justin Lin and his hand in, in making some, I mean, I, all of the best of these movies he makes the good ones he largely makes the good yeah. Ones, yeah um at furious seven is the best one he didn't make i would say and that's james wan who is one of my favorite yeah we love <laughs> what do you say genre picture directors yeah oh hell yeah I, I i'm on board with that i i love him for sure but you know this is i i just i am i'm i'm reeling a little bit we've we've just we're we're left and right talking about fast x and it's you know we got new actors being introduced the production starting now like we're just in a free fall right now and i i am just i need a little something to grab onto here i i i just need to know who they're thinking about tapping to replace here and i know you've got some you've got some ideas in your own head there i do i do also i looked it up he didn't do fate so we do not have to saddle him with that one okay right Um, on good stuff because i would say the only bad fast movie he's done is fast and furious which while i don't think is very good is one of the first steps towards taking the fast and the furious to like what it is now yeah it's not full fast five yet but it's getting the family back together totally it's Um, it's the final stepping stone before the the floodgates open for us yeah so okay there are two obvious answers right out the gate for director right 
Mm-hmm. You've got James Wan. As previously mentioned, he did Furious 7, which had a super troubled production due to the death of Paul Walker. He came in. I think he pulled that together pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, that's one of the better Fast and the Furious movies, I think. He sees off Paul Walker incredibly well. That's oh, yeah. a really good send-off for that film, So I think, or for that character, rather. So I think it would be good to see... Uh, James Wan come in and do that for the whole franchise. I think he's got the chops to do it. Justin Lin has shown that he's really the guy that can make good Fast and the Furious movies, but if there's one guy who can do it that's not Justin Lin, it's James Wan. Oh yeah, I agree. And then of course, I mean, Seamus, I think this is probably you and my both first thought, is that the guy who very well, we don't know what's going on behind (laughs) the scenes very well, might be pushing him out uh, creatively, or at the very least is the main creative force that's not Justin Lin behind the overall franchise here is he's sitting above my bar right now, Mr. Vin Diesel. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. That would be that would be maybe like a Tommy Wiseau scenario. It's just like too much control and power over something you care so much about just turns it into a monster. But it could also be maybe the best thing ever made. It could just be a three-and-a-half-hour Oscar drama about the family that Vin has always wanted to make. And then, of course, my last pick for director, my, this is my wild card. And I've already pitched this to you. I should have saved it. But, <laughs> oh, I like it, though. I like it. But I want, I'm going to pitch it to the audience because you need a director who has proven not only that they can make a story about family, about finding family, about sticking together as a family, where each individual component of that family can shine and intricately and tightly connect into a larger plot, a larger heist even, potentially. Mm. And each of them has their own character moments while also working as a unit. You you need the heart there. You need you need the, the charisma. You need the passion. You need somebody who is an excellent action director. And you need somebody who can competently pull off um, a sequel. Of course. And somebody who I think checks all of those boxes with absolute flying colors is the director of both Paddington films, Mr. Paul King. <laughs> uh, that was like, I, I I could almost hear the PowerPoint slides clicking behind you, like giving a board <laughs> meeting to the executives, <laughs> just to be like, I have your answer. And I actually really like that answer. I think that would be really good. Seamus, I think what we need to do is you and I need to, this weekend, we take a trip out to Universal Studios. <laughs> we, we, Steven Spielberg in the 70s style, get off the tram tour and hide in a bathroom <laughs> until it keeps going. Then we need to find Vin's office at Universal Studios and sit down and, and have a real talk with him. Yeah, find him in his race car bed in his office and just like <laughs> gently like wake him up. Milhouse's dad. Yeah, just like kiss him on his bald forehead and gently wake him up and just be like, Vin, we have your answer. And he'll be so sleepy that he'll accept it. And that'll, that's a binding contract right there. I'll it will write it, of course. Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I'm assuming it's already written because they, they the that's the thing that's weird about this. They got one week into production. Yeah, one week that into is shooting. Strange. Principal you, photography. You did also have some theories about why you think it might have gone down like this. It seems like such strange timing. I think that I want to save that till we actually talk because I don't want to do uh, full spoilers on the news no, of, of segment course. here and f- for I, all of the Fast and the Furious movies. Not that we haven't before, <laughs> I guess, but I think come back when we cover uh, Fast X and we have our minds blown. We've probably been up for like 48 hours straight yeah. watching oh, yeah. the Diesel movies. Hell yeah. But I do have some theories about character stuff that might be happening and where Universal and the studios and maybe even Vin Diesel's priorities lie against where Justin Lin is going to want certain characters to go. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're probably right on that. And I wish we we will eventually elaborate more. And by that time, we'll know so much more than we do now. I, I, I can't stress enough how little we know about why this is all happening. It's just it's so sudden. Good Lord. Yep, but I don't know. Hopefully they find a good director. I'm just genuinely bummed about this because this is... We are brainwashed little boys, and this is one of our favorite franchises. I can't tell you how heartbroken I've been replaying that Instagram video in my head for the last two days of him just being like, yep, it's going to be the best one ever. Mm -hmm." It's like, (laughs) oh, man, please. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's (sighs) a terrifying glimpse into the real horrors that Hollywood can create. Truly, truly. Honestly, that was on my birthday, too, that that news broke. Don't forget. Yeah, we had many a corona in in memory. (laughs) 
we did we we toasted to your honor justin at the texas roadhouse yeah it was it was a fitting it was a fitting memorial but should we should we move on to you know what i will avenge you justin i will save you vin i will kill you universal studios there we go (laughs) that is a beautiful segue let's go the northman This week's main segment, we are covering the brand new Robert Eggers' The Northman that we were so lucky to see at an early screening of just uh, uh, last week. Did this, you know, I I said it earlier, Seamus, you kind of already answered it earlier, but you and I are both Eggers fans. Oh, yes. uh, Really like The Witch, really like The Lighthouse. I've got The Lighthouse poster sitting up in my wall here. Did this live up to... You know, the ultra big budget Viking epic that you were promised for the new Robert Eggers film to be. I mean it really was so epic. It it was it was incredible. I I genuinely really, really liked it. I you know, for a Robert Eggers film, he is so good at doing those bottle films and you know, between the lighthouse and the witch, it's it's a very you know, it's, it's very dusty, very Gray, obviously the lighthouse is in black and white, so that doesn't help that. And <laughs> always, always so skillfully done in those those very dark, visually dark environments like that. And I just think one of the biggest things I appreciated about this big budget, this this bigger like scope of this actual story than what we're used to in his retellings of these myths and legends, is just how colorful and big and vast it felt. It was really an odyssey in every definition of the word. And, you know, between the, just the grassy hills and the the fires and the, I mean, the gore, the vicious red and the, I mean, disgusting sinew of, you know, just chopped up human bodies. It was It was such a... I mean, weird way to say it, but it was a real treat to watch. It was so well done. I I, I really loved it. But what about you? What did you think? I th- it's visceral. I think yeah. that you oh, were yeah. getting at that very well. It's one of the most intense movies I've seen in a long time. And I'm really glad to see this kind of film coming out of an actual studio made by an actual director. Like, mm. this is the kind of movie that it just doesn't feel like it's made anymore. It's the kind of movie that 20 years ago, I don't think it would, I would have felt weird about. I yeah. mean, I would have been four, but <laughs> right, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, there was I like a four-year-old th- at our screening, which was weird, but I yeah, mean. that was so weird. <laughs> d- and I've heard about multiple screenings yeah. where there's like babies and young children. And it's do not take your oh, kids to this movie. Not please. a family movie. I don't even know if I would go with my parents to see this movie. It's brutal. I- I was sitting there literally thinking, at what point do I lose my parents? <laughs> I think my dad checks out somewhere around the second beheading yeah, in the first 20 yeah. minutes. And probably when a building full of children dies, that's probably when yeah. my mom checks out. Probably, so yeah. I would say that's that's the intro of everything, more or less. So, yeah. yeah. Not, not mean, a family time, but by God, is it is it good if you can appreciate that kind of brutality. And I think that the movie, there's a there's a good distinction to be made, and I think there's t- more to elaborate on in spoilers. The movie is not celebrating any of that brutality. I don't think we were supposed. To, I mean, it's the it's the problem that so many media illiterate young people have now with Martin Scorsese. The whole argument of well, Martin Scorsese makes movies about gangsters and and mobsters and thugs and uh is glorifying them have you, you've heard this crap before Seamus I'm have sure I? wait but say a lot that of again? people the... say like Scorsese glorifies the people that he makes films about people like Jordan Belfort um and, and uh Henry Hill and uh Jimmy Hoffa and like uh, like there's this argument by people that don't know how to read movies that by making a movie about something you're somehow endorsing it yeah just just because there's a main character doesn't mean they're a hero what the yeah that's just like not that's just not having the ability to read between a single line i guess and i think that this movie is definitely about and i think the the theme of the myth that it's based on and uh, the work that it inspired is certainly in the same vein which we'll get to a little bit later mm is that violence begets violence revenge begets revenge it's a it's an unhealthy and endless cycle 
uh, of wounded masculinity and unhealthy obsession. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I like I think that all of the brutality in this film is certainly proving a point. I don't think it's violence for violence's sake. You know what? I think just to really get into this, we're going to have to jump into spoilers to really talk about everything that our full thoughts are about this movie with the violence and everything about the story and the characters. Yeah, I, I agree. There's there's so much to dig into here. I think that the violence kind of goes hand in hand with everything in this story beat by beat. So let's 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 dig into it. Official spoiler marking. And just honestly, it's been on my mind since we watched it just to start with one of my favorite bits. We'll, we'll, we'll jump all over the place. I just love that one handed spear catch and throw back in that first Ooh. adult battle that we see in this yes. movie. That was such a like it was like the reaction in our audience was like somebody just dunked a basketball. It was the, it was very, very fun. I loved seeing this movie with the crowd. And yeah. It's the kind of movie. Uh that I'm really glad that we did see, because I think if you and I, you and I have been very intentional about our movie-going practice mm. uh, in the last two years. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> about, like, you know, when we saw Spider-Man, we went to the caption screening, and we and, and because that was the one where the least number of people were going to be. When we see Doctor Strange yeah, this weekend, mm-hmm. it's going to be the same thing. And we try to go at off-peak times to go see things when we're the least exposed to to COVID, you know, and you know when we saw the Northman a few weeks ago, now it, it, things were looking better than they are right now because that, that was before the the national. We don't need to justify ourselves, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, we were yeah. at a different point then than we are now, and than we were before. True, and I'm because if we hadn't seen this at that advanced screening, we would have probably gone to like an 11 a.m. weekday show just to avoid seeing crowds. Like, mm-hmm. so we could be alone in the theater or as close to alone as we could be. And I'm glad we saw this in a full house because it was so fun seeing audiences react to stuff again. And it was so fun seeing audiences react to stuff that's just, they're not reacting to it because it's the fourth Spider-Man or whatever. Right, like, right. They're reacting to it because they're genuinely excited about what's going going on in the movie and there were several moments in the film just like that spear catch you were talking about that really resonated and i think that's actually a good way for us to kind of go through our highlights is talk about at least they live very vividly in my mind the times that our audience reacted to stuff yeah totally and i just before we we jump into those moments too i completely echo your sentiments of like i think maybe the last thing that i saw with like a crowd was maybe bond with you way i was about back. to bring that was up like bond. our first one that we saw with like and even that wasn't like the most packed crowd it could have been but you know it electric a lot of these moments just just loved loved feeling it in the room truly but what what comes to your mind when you think of those moments well i mean this is putting the cart way before the horse <laughs> but the biggest moment of reaction in our theater as it probably is in most is when nicole kidman makes a move on her son yeah that was that's a pretty intense beat there for sure my goodness that was uh i i truly that made me feel like not a lot of people really knew what they were getting into granted we didn't really know what we were getting into with this movie but i that was that was a very that was a very strange and interesting beat there and I mean, I when we're talking about Hamlet, you mm. know, we t- obviously this story is the skeleton of Hamlet, and I have kind of always resisted from Shakespeare's text that interpretation of Hamlet because there is a there is a, a large contingent uh, of of scholars and readers and mm. and academics and whatever you want to say read Hamlet as an inherently Oedipal tale where not only does he want to kill the king, but he also wants uh, to, to sleep with Gertrude. And there's like a like the scene right before he kills Polonius. I have no idea how familiar people are with Hamlet. I'm assuming most people <laughs> Spoilers are. Spoilers um, for Hamlet, a hundreds and hundreds year old play. But right before he kills Polonius, there's this like a scene that specifically people point to as kind of being the scene where Hamlet and Gertrude may or may Like, if that is in there, it's there. And I don't read it as that but a lot of people do. And the problems I have with that in Hamlet are, are like textually based. And so now when we look at this film, I don't have those same problems because like, I'm not saying this is Gertrude. Like Nicole Kidman's not Gertrude. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really interesting, messed up and probably historically accurate to some degree depiction of 
a character like that. Well, that's... Honestly, I don't even know if I read that scene as her necessarily genuinely having... Like, when that happened, everybody was like, you know, ew, grossed out. They they share a very long smooch that was it's just very gross and weird. And in a lot of ways, the, spe- the, the way she's talking about, like, her life as basically just moving from slave to, like, concubine, conquested by different people over the years. Like, she's no mm-hmm. not a queen or whatever. And I, I feel like the way she's speaking in that moment where she's like, well, if you get what you want and you slay my children and murder my husband, uh, technically you can just have me because that's just like the the insane, horrible life that I live and that you contribute to. And I think it was more of a psychological warfare kind of tactic than an actual, like a move made on oh, our boy yeah. Skarsgård. I do agree. And I think that, I mean, that's a crazy performance like 100 oh yeah it, and that she is playing like 15 different layers and they're all horrible yeah, they're all so psychopaths up. and tortured oh. souls it's, it's it's truly like her like cackle evil cackle is haunting in that moment truly and i think it's not a coincidence at the same time that a lot of the events that she's describing about her own life uh, are literally what's happening to yeah. the mm-hmm. romantic lead of this movie, Ani Taylor-Joy's character. And so, again, we have this weird, like, little Oedipal thing going, um, which, I, like, it's an interesting... It's a lot to unpack, mm-hmm. I would say. I, I don't know why I'm saying that, like, it's a lot to unpack, I guess, and then, like, this isn't the place where we unpack <laughs> it. Like, this is the podcast where we talk about the right. themes and, yeah. like, what we thought about the movie. Um, I guess that is just to say that I have... I've been sitting on this movie for what's, like, a couple weeks now, and I'm still yeah. not entirely sure what to make of it. Which is... And I think it will require... Because it's not like there are twists in this movie, but there certainly are things that we learn about characters. Oh, I'm describing a, a, a movie for adults right now. I think it's just what I'm saying. Um, yeah, exactly. things that we learn about characters <laughs> that then recontextualize the actions that they took earlier in the film. Oh, interesting how that is. Cinema, cinema. And I, I would like to see this film again to Me kind too. of unpack... I'm using the word unpack a lot to to recontextualize, to reabsorb the information from all of her, not only all of her scenes and like see what I actually believe that she was feeling in those moments and what she's convinced herself of and what she's convinced Amleth of and all that stuff. But also to, to pick up on Anya Taylor-Joy's character's story and how that is being like truly mirrored and her relationship with Amleth in relation to the relationship with with the mother. Also, Ani Taylor-Joy, this is kind of veering off, but she takes a really long time to show up in this movie, considering how heavily she's marketed as being Yeah, hit. yeah, I, I can agree with that. It is very, like, we, we kind of skipped over the entire intro of this movie, too, really. I went straight to the spear catch, and we, we <laughs> kind of missed the part where, like, he's a we boy. We never looked back, Seamus. We never looked back. <laughs> oh, God, if, if only. But they're, they're, that's where our boy Willem starts. We have to go back. It's where our boy Willem lives, really. It's just oh, the yeah, only that's true. part where he's technically on screen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, that was another thing our audience reacted to, was naked Ethan Hawke, naked Willem Dafoe, and naked little Amleth howling and farting and yeah. panting and burping I, and dancing I, and getting that, high. And... That got a big laugh, was the was the farting. I I don't know, that threw me in a weird position right off the bat. I, I didn't quite love that, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the 10th century Icelandic poem? I don't know. You think Robert Eggers is a freak? You think that's oh, a, maybe. like, a, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not saying that derogatorily. Oh, I I, I like, agree with that in the way that's like I want to keep watching this freak's movies. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I want. I mean, flatulence is a large part of the lighthouse as well. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. How could I forget? And like clearly that he thinks that that is interesting or funny or resonant in some way there there's some metaphor we're not picking up on here garrett there's something deeper honestly probably and <laughs> i love when they're in the longhouse at the yeah, very beginning totally and we've got the weird ritual where everybody's coming back from battle and that's where we get the set the the stage set for all of the characters again other than anya taylor joy's character right which I think that's part of the reason it feels weird is because we have 
everybody's set up from the beginning except her. And that's not bad. Like, and I think that it's showing that she's in impetus for change in some way, in Amleth's perspective and life, and that it's a way to also not have every character be, and I'm not saying this like it's not inspired by a cent- by a centuries, if not millennia old, legend, folktale, poem, whatever, that not every character that's important is like a member of the royal family, that mm-hmm. they're not like the the heads of the Viking tribe. There's also the disenfranchised um, in some capacity there. And again, just to go into Hamlet for a minute, they don't do that in Hamlet. It's Ophelia. Right, like, yeah. the, uh, the Ophelia character is part of like the squad, the, the royal squad. Yeah, she's all and, dressed up. She's in that castle. And she's there from the beginning as well. Yeah. Um, they do are they are both like witchy and connected to nature, though. Like there's a oh, lot yeah. of over it's not like she bears no resemblance to Ophelia. Mm. It's just that I mean she lives, I guess. But um, right. um maybe maybe I don't know. The last time we see Ophelia, she's down um in a body of water, and the last time we see oh. uh, Annie Taylor Joy, she's all in a body of water. So. Uh oh, not great. Doesn't bode well. Doesn't bode. I mean, that I I want to. No, we'll get there in a minute because I want to talk about everything else in this movie first. But I want to talk about the ending and how we interpret it. Um, yeah. Okay. But and like where we think the story because the story is actively asking us, I think, to think about what happens after it's ended. And I want I want to engage with that discussion, but I do want to talk about first all the little boy stuff that we are currently in the midst of, <laughs> and also all the other things that we haven't talked about yet from later in the film. Well, where, where do you want to go next here? There is there's there is a lot to, to do here. Are we sticking in the past? Are we talking about Severed Head Willem? Are we going I to I think the... it's time. It's time yeah. for <laughs> yeah. Severed Head Willem Dafoe, and a guy that, until the closing credits, I thought was Brendan Gleeson, so... Who was that guy? I, it's just some guy. Just some guy? A guy I've never heard of. <laughs> I think he's a Scandinavian actor, so that clocks. Yeah, we we get. But the, he looks like Brendan Gleeson. Th- that he does. That he does. The secret shaman man who's been, I guess, living in secret in a cave or something. Like, why is he just? And his only friend is Willem Dafoe's head, like Wilson the volleyball. Yeah, truly, the coolest, most disgusting thing I would put on a bookshelf. That <laughs> Willem Dafoe head. Would you, buy, would you buy that if they I think, they sold that on yeah, the Prop Auction Features web store? <laughs> I think I would buy it. I think that's the creepiest, coolest thing I've ever seen because it looks so much like him. It's like a really good severed head prop because it's mummified. It's 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 Willem Dafoe was presumably killed at the big, you know, like right when the coup yeah. happens when yeah, he yeah, was yeah. a boy, and then it's just been preserved for how like what are we gonna say like fifteen like, years. Yeah. Do, oh, do they say it? Do they say what the they time say? Jump is? I think they say years later. Years later, if I'm remembering correctly, which is the point. It's not to sure, tie yeah. it to anything. Uh-huh. It's mythic. It's not about the years. Yeah, that crazy guy's not counting the years as he's like a weird, mindless soldier for, I guess, the army of the uncle that killed his dad. I'm, I was a little muddy on that in the beginning. No, he where just he, like, went and vo- joined a different Viking tribe. I think. But that, but then, like but I, he, like has his spiritual awakening, and they're like, "Uh, yeah, we're capturing slaves for the guy that hired us. He's this dude who killed his brother and took over the land before the other Vikings let him just kind of be the governor of the island or whatever the whole thing." I is. think I just need to learn more about like Viking history. And, yeah, like, maybe how how associated were? I mean, I've played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, <laughs> but um, how associated were the tribes? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it, it's was it like. Yeah. Were there different communities of Vikings that all kind of got along-ish? And then there were the ones that didn't, obviously, uh, that get the slaughtered and the enslaved and and, and the, the barn full of children burned down, yep. come and see style. There is that. Uh, which is crazy. The good guys, or the good guys, but the like <laughs> the guys that um our lead is working for do that. I yeah, mean, th- there's a shot where they catch a screaming crying little girl who's running away to put her in that barn and burn her alive it's pretty dark and i think that when right before spoilers when i got into like it's not violence for violence's sake is even though i don't necessarily think that it is condemning amless revenge which is a thing to discuss again about the Mm. ending i do think that the point of that opening scene obviously is to show how senseless the brutality is of this yeah. lifestyle 
Like, it's not like, oh, look at how badass Vikings are. I mean, it kind of is. but uh, Again, time, the spear it's... catch is pretty hardcore. <laughs> and, like, he's just, like, skulking through the, the, the village as everybody's freaking out, just hitting people in the chest with axes, knocking them off horses. But then it cuts to, like, people being rounded up for slavery and burned alive mm-hmm. and, and separated from their families and systematically taken. It's horrible. And, I mean, I think it's just partially... Eggers leaning into what he does, which is historical accuracy, and mm. h- history is muddy and violent and gross, and I'm not saying that it nece- I mean, but it is saying something, even if the something is, this is just what we are like, or what we used to be like. Mm. I think it's a very... It, because I think a lot of people are, like, dismissing it as, like, the, the macho Viking movie, when it's taking very clear steps to show you the horror involved in this violence i mean i would say so the violence is horrific from start to finish it's like the first thing we see really is like dude getting his nose cut clean off and just brutal pike stabbing and then it cuts to that village scene more or less it's 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 a lot there's there's statues made out of dismembered bodies man like there's like oh i forgot about that how could you forget about that garrett it's it's a pretty memorable moment it is a pretty memorable moment that was another moment that our audience uh had a moment about (laughs) yeah it's it was gnarly grotesque because i mean the uh, the 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 fun in games as it's referred to uh in save the cat the screenwriting book um of this movie (laughs) is him just like haunting yeah. his uncle's uh village yeah being a living phantom to everybody in this island uh where he's got a really rad sword that only opens at night oh, yeah oh man i i would almost like to quickly detour into the mythological elements of this movie yes please I, I, there are like we've touched on willem dafoe and the ceremony but we didn't really talk about how that grants him like visions of his own fate throughout the movie he can like taste the blood of other people i guess i think only touch the blood i touch the blood like when he touches Anya taylor joy's wound at the end right okay yeah yeah but he gets the he sees his fate there's a there's a very cool oracle vision that he has that like snaps him out of his weird soldier trance at the beginning the way he gets that dope moonlight sword is like a, a fun fake out vision of fighting that giant golem guy, which I, I was hoping was real. That was crazy. Wasn't that right? wild? I actually, you know, I kind of absolutely loved how they did that, where it just like it pans right back to after an awesome fight scene, granted, just right back to just revealing that it was his imagination the whole time, more or less. I thought that was very or well done. was it? Though, like, it was a spiritual battle. It was oh, maybe that's in the mind. Oh. It was like, oh my god, because the the sword is still really magic. You can't open it yep. unless it's nighttime. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so it's so, hard to say. Just like Anya Taylor Joy is really a witch in some capacity. Oh like, yeah, she like does, maybe she makes kinda? potions that work. Yeah, like she is aiding in the in the phantom haunting. I wish that it started a little earlier. I wish she had gotten involved a little earlier. Yeah. But I understand he's got to be his loner for a while or else, you know, it's his revenge. And you've got to believe that he would let her in on it. Yeah, very, very well done, I would say. I I loved all that haunting stuff and the the hallucination night where they, like, drug every guard and they're just, like, freaking out and, and getting stabbed to death. Very fun there. Another thing I just remembered, because I'm remembering a lot of things as we talk, uh, the Quidditch match where they're going to knock that little kid's head off. Oh, yeah, where this movie, it becomes a sports <laughs> movie for 10 I minutes, and you're like, is this going to be the rest of the movie? <laughs> That's how he gains his revenge, is becoming their champion field hockey player. Because, I mean, it basically is field hockey. Yeah, um, it, but just, like, beat the crap out of your opponent. <laughs> Field hockey? Is that just regular field hockey? That's lacrosse, yeah. I guess, maybe. I, I mean, prob- I mean, back then, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun. That's how he gains his, like, slave plus rank status. Slave <laughs> You know, he, no. they, like, lay it clean out. That guy who kind of reminds me of a young Adam Driver is like, you don't really get anything, but you, you, get to, you get to not be as savagely slaved around. You get to boss the other slaves around, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that, uh, 
Yeah, I like the. I like the guy. He uses that position to great advantage. Oh, so such great advantage. You know, I, I, I liked the guy who played the oldest son. I guess technically our main guy's half brother. I guess that's who that is. Yep. Interesting. I never, I never really even thought about that until now. But I guess that makes complete sense. Yeah, I liked him. He was insufferable. I, I thought he was a great little slave driver guy. Just an but arrogant. He wasn't just sniveling. Like he was still intimidating to some degree. Which was oh yeah, good. like it was a, it was a really nice balance. Whereas a lot of movies would probably just go like. Oh, like the Chad Amleth versus <laughs> yeah, the, the virgin, virgin. <laughs> sniveling little uh, half brother or brother uh, half brother. Yeah, half definitely. Brother. And I'm also now remembering that statue made out of body parts was all his buddies, which I thought was yep. pretty fun. Yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> yeah, how did they have time to do that? That would take so long. And they have to like nail it up and stuff. Yeah, like you know, quietly like... hang a dripping body sculpture. It's pretty rough. But again, it's all... Oh, we didn't talk about Bjork's Valkyrie Witch, like, all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That Um, is weird and fun. I like it a lot, but it's also... That ties into that little ending that we were going to talk about before, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's all mythological, right, again? Because we've got Valkyries, the witch come and Mm -hmm. take the warriors to Valhalla when they die. And there's the weird witch in the burned out church or whatever that is. Right, which might have also just been a vision or dream, maybe. But also maybe not. Who oh knows? my god. I kind of love that it is so unknown on that. Because it, it is, I mean, it's more or less the exact same thing you find in any other Shakespeare play. It's just like kind of taking the weirdness of just like, yeah, there's like witches and oracles and stuff. You just like kind of have to take that at face value. Yeah, and it's just like, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, like ghosts, yeah, 100% could be real. Also, maybe your main character is crazy. Who knows? I think that's the thing that's interesting about this is Hamlet is all torn up about his revenge and all torn up about, like, he's maybe crazy and all this stuff. Hamlet doesn't care. Oh, no, he's <laughs> going like, for it. He's on a one track, <laughs> and he's going to do it, and then he's going to he's gonna die because he did it. Yeah. And... And I, that, what, what was the first thing I said to you when the lights came on, when, when that, that rolled the credits? I said, boy, am I glad this guy got his revenge, huh? I was, I was so uh-huh. afraid he was not going to f- get there. I, I'm very satisfied with the amount of revenge he got successfully. <laughs> but they also make you, like the Nicole Kidman scene, again, which is the pivotal scene in the mm. film for a lot of reasons, not just for that character, makes you question about, is it worth it? Oh no! Like, I, sure, he my... tried to kill you, but is life better with him? He seems to treat his people fine, not the slaves. But yeah, yeah, you know, like I, again, it's all moral relativism, which is a very interesting thing about like, is this revenge justified? And does that matter? Does it matter? I mean, that his revenge isn't justified. Probably not. Doesn't seem to. That's the thing. That's why I, I like. I have no. I have no qualms with the idea of, like, all of this is horrifying and morally void of anything that, like, can redeem the actions that are taken. But, like, the steps that were taken and his dedication to this bloodlust, he's like, yeah, I will I will get tortured for days as long as I can challenge my uncle to a volcano top sword fight to end it all. Like, he will, I don't know, the, the lengths he went to, I needed him to get his revenge, whether or not it was good for the world or him or anybody, truly. So let's talk about the ending. It's time now to yes. talk about the ending because he leaves... Anya Taylor-Joy on the boat to, I don't remember where they're going. Somewhere um, somewhere out of there, getting out of Dodge. And he feels her wound, and his magic insight tells him that they're going to have twins, and that one of the twins will be the ruler of a new clan, and maybe it's a daughter. I was going to say, I think it's specifically a daughter. Yeah. I try, Again, I'm trying to remember exactly what the vision looks like because yeah. they, they've got that cool tree yes with all the people yeah. connected to it like umbilical cords yeah i and love that that imagery was very fascinating that's what he sees whenever he touches people's wounds he sees his own family tree and then later at the end before he is carried to valhalla when he dies on mustafar <laughs> yes exactly at the gates of hell where he fu- the volcano that's the opening shot is also where he 
dies at the end. He has a vision where Anya Taylor-Joy's character tells him that they're okay, she's okay, they're going to be fine, and everything. And I think that that, is that like, is that wishful thinking? Is that a, oh, that's what he has to tell himself to justify the revenge to himself? Just like so many other Mm. things in this movie, you're questioning whether what Amleth is experiencing is real or if it's a metaphor or something that is going on in his mind uh, to process what's happening to him. That's exactly what I was thinking. Even just thinking about the the very final shot, it's the Valkyrie like inches away from Valhalla, right? It's like, it's the epic, the journey, gathering the soul, taking it to the, the promised land. And it, it cuts to black before the Valkyrie can get there. And that, yep made me think so much of like oh maybe he was just drugged as a child and fed the idea that he has a fate that he can't get out of and that is what drove him to ultimately getting you know stabbed slain on top of a volcano and his his dying moments in his own mind him achieving what he thought he needed to do to make it to his promised land but i mean again maybe not maybe he was just fed this idea and he was driven enough to to follow through with it all until the the very end and we see that unreliable narrator manifest in more literal ways too it's not just you know did he really fight the big demon souls boss to get his (laughs) magic sword you also have again talking about the scene with nicole kidman yeah i mean again she's in this whole movie by the way but like this is the scene (laughs) that's her scene yeah He's like, I saw you being carried away by my uncle, screaming and crying. And she was like, child, I was laughing. Again, another thing, I want to see this movie again to oh, totally. see if I can read it that way. To reanalyze or- that intro. Mm-hmm. I, it- uh, there's so much of that intro. Like him blowing up at the jester when he makes the joke about her, too, is like, yep. like it's right there for us. It's uh, so good. So, you know, Amleth is already established as this unreliable narrator. So I think everything that you just said about his mind being warped and washed from the time that he was a boy. Again, he's a prince too, mm. which is yeah. oh, yeah. a certain seat of privilege. Given an um, amulet right at the beginning, more or less ripped off the neck of whoever they just conquered before they came back. And he's like, I'm, I'm extra special. Like, this is my proof. Exactly. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to earn that amulet. Exactly. He's just given to given it. I, I really like this movie, Garrett. I got to say, I Me think we're, we're talking about like rewatch for the sake of, you know, recontextualization and, you know, kind of trying to analyze it with a, with a more informed view. But this movie is just purely beautiful. It, it is, it looks gorgeous and it's that kind of disturbing, gritty, entertaining from beginning to end that Robert Eggers is just perfected at this point. And I, I am thoroughly impressed with this movie and i i want to watch it again with you for sure yeah i think we should i think this is probably my least favorite robert eggers film and that's insane to me i was gonna say that and i'm I'm sure that means very little in terms of like how high you regard them you know individually in any case exactly and i'm not a person who cares about ranking i've said that on the show before you very much know that about me Mm mm-hmm so it's not, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, my number one is The Witch, my number two is The <laughs> Lighthouse. Like, it, I, they're all great, fascinating pieces of art in their own right that ha- do not need to have any kind of edge or mm. one-upsmanship on each other. However, the fact that this movie was so exciting and invigorating to me as a viewer, as a person who loves movies, as a person who's invested and interested in this space, specific filmmakers career and many members of this cast's careers the fact that a movie i like this much and it's not necessarily my favorite of that director's works is just impressive the fact he this guy's mm-hmm. got three movies under his belt they're all certified bangers and i just think that's a miracle i think it's a miracle that we still have all of these really exciting like you and I talk all the time about, like, Marvel and the death of cinema and all this mm. stupid <laughs> end-of-times crap. And it, that's all very valid to talk about. But it's nice to hold on to these moments where we could be encouraged by the $100 million Viking movie that's really good. <laughs> yes. And doesn't sacrifice being a, a movie that is, like, very unmistakably a Robert Eggers film. It's a director's film. And mm-hmm. it's nice to see that be... for And it's for adults. It's decidedly for adults. There's no quips. There's no, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, it feels like a real film, you know? It, it's something that you can dissect every single scene in a thousand different ways that isn't just like a stupid Star Wars video essay about why The Force Awakens is the best of the saga or whatever. It's it's just purely entertaining and impressive for what we have in, in, the, in the environment of cinema that we are in today. It's, it's refreshing and, and beautiful. Because there are plenty of good movies oh, that yeah. are made all the time. Great movies that are made all the time. A few weeks ago, I watched Drive My Car. That's an amazing mm. film. And I think it's a better film than this one, certainly. However, at the same time, the thing that's exciting about this movie is not just it's a good movie, but it's a good movie that's occupying a space right now in, in cultural consciousness and a budget in Hollywood that is more and more being reserved for studio mm. IP tentpoles. Uh, about the remakes and the reboots. I mean, I did. You, I don't know if you saw this today. This is. Uh, it's gonna date exactly when we're <laughs> recording this podcast. The AMC in Times Square is playing seventy showings of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness today. Jesus, are you serious? Uh huh. I bet they are all sold out. And it's kind of stoking right now online this discussion of that always comes up again this doomsday naysaying that I was just kind of referring mm. to about there's not space for anyone else right that when we have the mega corporation like gray CGI crap and again I'm excited for Doctor Strange we talked about it next week I love Sam Raimi I'm jazzed about it mm -hmm. we're gonna go see it in a couple days you and me it's gonna be fantastic um maybe not the movie's gonna be fantastic but I'm you know, I'm going to have a great time. Yeah, it's going to be exciting nonetheless. But I, I totally hear what you're saying about, like, these nuggets of just absolute gold that can that can shine in the, the landscape of, you know, Disney snaps its fingers and it gets 70 showings of whatever it wants. You know, this is, this is just a treat for us who are, are paying attention to more than just the Marvel and the Star Wars of it all. Very well said, Seamus, and exa exactly exactly what I was getting at. Thank you so much for, I think you put that down very well. Yeah, no problem, man. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down, man. I think we're both on the same page with the Northmen. Just a, just another, another classic for the books that will maybe not get as much recognition as it should, but, you know, we'll, we'll praise it to, to no end, I think. But with that, should we move on to our pop culture reference? Let's do it. This week's pop culture reference is the Amleth myth. The Amleth myth is a Scandinavian legend supposedly based on a long-since-lost Icelandic epic poem. The original Icelandic poem is rumored to be from the 10th century, though only two surviving Latin versions of this story can be traced back to the 12th century at the very latest. The story follows the journey of a prince named Amleth who must avenge his father's death after he was slain by his uncle to usurp his throne, and to take his queen as his wife. Journeying across oceans, faking his own death, and instilling fear through false magics are some of the strong through lines that stay at the core of this legend between iterations. The story was the inspiration for Shakespeare to write the now far better known story of Hamlet, for which the primary source was a 16th century play titled Ur Hamlet. The story of Hamlet, at least in some iteration, continues on in several facets of popular culture. Shakespeare's Hamlet is one of the most produced and celebrated plays of all time, Disney continues to churn out Lion King after Soulless Lion King remake, and Robert Eggers' The Northman is the most faithful adaptation of the Amleth myth to ever axe climb its way onto the silver screen. I also feel like every time we say Amleth myth, I feel like I'm lisping. <laughs> every time we say that, I'm remembering the Muppet movie, the greatest bit That's of all time. That's me too! <laughs> Literally me too. I almost said yes, and then I thought we would, you know, Myth, like, myth, uh, yes. Classic. Uh, we are stupid. We're talking about real literature, and we just go right back to the Muppets. Well, Goodness you, God. You know, like in the Muppet movie, you know how they make, you know, Carol Kane in the Muppet uh, movie? The Muppets Northman? The Muppets Amleth? Who are you? Are you keeping Willem? Is here? No, because the lead is usually a human, right? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. So we keep Skarsgård. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is Piggy. Yep, yep. Gonzo's the uncle. <laughs> Where's Kermit? Who's Kermit? Kermit's Ethan Hawke, I think. Oh, there you go. Sure. Because <laughs> obviously Kermit Fozzie gets Bear stabbed. is Willem Dafoe, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good God. Th that is so exceptionally stupid. I would watch the hell out of that. My God. Uh, all of the goodwill that we just like built up to <laughs> our, our measured talk of... <laughs> 
uh, oh. the Northman's place in the current cultural landscape. Uh, it's, we just shattered it to the <laughs> ground as we uh, fan-cast yep. the Muppets Northman. Yeah, if anybody had any airs about what we are as people, that just, that just let, let them know. That we have the capacity for uh, insightful, intelligent thought, and we squander it on the dumbest crap that you can possibly imagine. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's just... Just imagining animal out on that that uh, hockey field. Yes, <laughs> he's wait, the berserker sure? guy. Is it animal or is it Sweetums? Ooh, oh man, we need to do a animal, whole episode. I think animal gets his little felt nose <laughs> popped off. That's what I think. That's pretty fun. Oh, though, I mean, Gonzo getting his nose hacked off right at the beginning. Oh, I don't know. No. I don't know. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good options. <laughs> a lot of a lot of say. fun options there. Uh, uh, as long as we right. get to hear Miss Piggy say hi. In Icelandic, <laughs> then we'll be good. <laughs> anyway, how about we move on over to the rec center, Garrett? Uh, I think we really should, probably, oh. before we lose <laughs> everybody that's still listening. Oh, uh, let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, you're up first. Well, y- you know that you know that thing when you you get a new album and you listen to it for a couple times over throughout the weeks that you get it and you realize that that the, they they wrote that album specifically for you you know like everything just lines up and you suddenly understand all the lyrics. Yes. And then do you ever get that other thing where you keep listening to an album and then you realize that it's actually written about your good friend Garrett Strother and everything in those songs is just an allegory for his whole life? Is it because we live the same life, Seamus, and are talking about the same album? Probably. I, I think it might be, because I have been listening almost nonstop to the Tears for Fears 2022 new release, The Tipping Point, and it has been fantastic. That, I honestly, if we have a blank space coming up in the next couple weeks, we should just cover it for the show. I think that because... would be great, because uh, honestly, there are... I have very few problems with this album. Honestly, the entire first half is no misses for me, I think. I was about to say, I think the only problem is it pewters out a little bit in the second half, um, I just, unfortunately. I, I I love Break the Man is like my new favorite song. I think Please Be Happy is a little bit of a sleeper on that B-side because yes, th- those horns come in and I'm like, where's the horns cut of this song? <laughs> I need more horns. <laughs> Uh, just amp them up. Amp <laughs> yes, them up, Tears for please. Fears. Uh, oh. Long, long, long time. That's the oh, one that I... Oh, so good. I, I I was singing that song on a repeat in my head at work the other day. It's just, it's a it's an earworm for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I think, is, or I don't want to step on your rec center, oh, Please, you go, you, you go. You're, I mean, granted, you told me to listen to this album, and on the day I bought the indie record store special vinyl, because we were just out at the record store and I found a copy, and it was, I, I could not possibly regret that choice, so please. Is that a special pressing or anything? Does it look... I think, it, I think it's green. It was the special color for the... It's like a teal green, kind of. But nice. it's got, it's got it had like a sticker that was like special for indie record stores, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, oh, it came with a little poster print, too, that I'm going to frame. It's, it's, it's banging. I, I love the whole thing. The entire experience of that album is, is highly regarded to me. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it because I, I, I thought that you and I would probably share an appreciation for this album with just, I know we both like Tears for Fears and I, and <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was really resonant and it's really, I don't know how to say this other than to say, and this sounds so trite, it sounds like Tears for Fears in 2022. Yes. That it has their unique sound that no other band I know has, but and it's the same kind of lyrics and the same instrumentation, mm. but it has evolved and gotten older and it's weary. Um, I think that's why it's I, I think that's why partially it's resonating with me so much right now, is because it's I'm coming off a long several months, mm. um, and I'm almost done with school, I'm getting ready to graduate, I'm finishing up my senior project, I'm leaving a job that I've had for a really long time and that I love, and it's really, like, it's just, like, okay, we're just keeping on, keeping on, even though there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot going on, mm, yeah. and... It sounds to me like you're, you're at a tipping point, as it were, and you... <laughs> as it were. Mm. It's a really impressive feat for an act that has been around for 40 plus years maybe i don't know when did when did yeah it 
was the eighties. Uh, was there tears was there fears. prime yeah. right? Yeah, just it's it's really impressive that music that they were making that long ago that resonates with me and has resonated with me for my entire life that they are still putting out music that I think is as good as their old stuff. Yeah, completely agreed. And this is like their first album they've put out like new music since like 2004, I think. So this yeah, is just like long, it's been a long, long, long time. Oh, Seamus. hasn't hasn't it been? Oh my goodness. But yeah, hard recommend out now. Go get the vinyl. The vinyl's sick. It's it's dope. Listen, listen to it. It's it's wonderful. It is both sick and dope. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, I, I, you're probably calling it like Babe Ruth, just like I called <laughs> yours like Babe Ruth. So a couple weeks ago, I went to go see everything, everywhere, Ooh, all yeah. at once. And after our conversation during the end of our Northman talk about the way that I think there are some very strong bastions of adult movie going that are that have given me a lot of hope recently, just like the Northman has. I think this is another one where it's a it's not a low budget film, but it is uh, it's not a blockbuster by any means. It's not a tentpole of any kind. It's technically an independent film. And it's got a fantastic cast. It went into limited release, got good word of mouth, went into wide release, and for its first, I think, four weeks only dropped something like 3% of its box office oh, wow. growth for its first four weekends because the word of mouth is so strong on this one. It has a really high per-screen average, and it's a fantastically cast Michelle Yeoh, Kiki Kwan, Jamie Lee Curtis... Multiversal comedy by Daniels, who are the directors behind Swiss Army Man, uh, a film I would say that is about just as weird as this, but not necessarily as accessible. And I think that I, I was fine on Swiss Army Man, but I really loved everything, everywhere, all at once. It's without a doubt the best film I've seen all year. I've not seen a tremendous amount of films this year. I've probably seen seven or eight, but it is hilarious, incredibly emotionally impactful. It simultaneously feels way shorter and way longer than it actually is, and I have never seen another movie like it in my entire life. I am seeing this movie tomorrow, and I am so excited. I have The only thing I've heard about it is how good it is, that Data from the Goonies is making his big comeback, which I'm so happy about. And I love that he is Data from the Goonies to you. Well, he's, I mean, round. short round, but, you know, I... F I feel like that's the same character somehow. <laughs> Time, Quantum <laughs> Leap, Jump. Nothing alike. <laughs> exactly. They're just the same actor in like the same couple years. But I, I'm very excited. One thing that you and our boy Fritz said to me after seeing it, which has been ringing in my head ever since, was that somehow this movie is unspoilable. And that, to me, I don't know what that means, really. But I am, I'm excited. And I think maybe, I don't know, if we, if we don't have anything after Doctor Strange next week, maybe we slot this one in because we're probably going to have a lot to talk about. I would love that I would absolutely I think that, that might be the move right there I'm I'm very excited and I I will let you know I will let you know because again nothing but high praise for this weird weird sounding movie well on Saturday we're gonna have a great bus ride I'm sure talking oh about yes it absolutely every, everybody that we're going to see Doctor Strange with will have seen everything oh, everywhere all at once then so fantastic fantastic that'll already be, that'll be perfect and speaking of Doctor Strange that is what we are covering Next week here on the Pop Culture Reference Podcast, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, the newest Sam Raimi film, and only Sam Raimi film, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I, I, it's getting pretty divisive, this one here. I am very curious to see what we make of it, because we're Raimi boys, we're a couple of Raimi boys, I think. Oh, I would say so. I think we, between the two of us, we, we've got a healthy appreciation for Sam Raimi. And I'm excited to see him make his comeback to the superhero genre that he de he defined the modern superhero yes, movies. That's absolutely. The, his Spider-Man is the first one. Like, it's the first modern superhero film. You could say Superman, uh, you could say Batman 89, but, like, he he hits the formula and everybody else has been trying to copy him since then. And so exactly. now he's coming back and he's coming back to show these kiddos how it is done. So I'm very excited to see how much Marvel stifles <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. I want to be just a Sam Raimi Ash versus the Evil Dead uh, Spider-Man multiversal hysteria, and I don't certainly. think I'm, I'm quite gonna get that, but fingers crossed. What? Um, what is the, over, like, over-under on 
Bruce Campbell before or after the after credit scene? Do you think? Before, I think you think you think he's, yeah, he's going to be prime. I, I think he's in the movie. Okay, I hope so. I love the man. I I can't wait. I cannot wait. If it's if he's specifically Ash post credits, but in general, I think before. I don't think he's going to be specifically Ash, though. I think that's on the table. I that I fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Sony owns Evil Dead, so it's like kind of in oh, the yeah. realm of possibility. Oh my god, everything is in the realm of possibility, I think. This is going to be... It's like Smash Brothers, except like awful and with the rest of our lives. But I love Sam Raimi, so who cares? Dude, when Sam Raimi brings in Chris Evans in that blue spandex to be Mr... No, not Mr. Fantastic. Johnny Storm, Tony Storch, whatever his name is. (laughs) Tony Storch. (laughs) You hit it the first time, Uh, it was Johnny Storch. Oh, whoops, my bad. I have never seen it, but I'll still get a giggle when when Michael Chiklis' The Thing walks out later. Ugh. Well, if you want to tweet us, because you already got out of your 10 a.m. screening at AMC Times Square <laughs> of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, tell us how wrong we are by tweeting us at PCR underscore podcast. Also find us there on TikTok and Instagram. Email us at popcultureferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Do all the other engagement things, the reviews, the ratings. It really helps us out any kind of engagement that we can get on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, Once again, we are covering Doctor Strange next week. This has been, for the sixth week in a row, Nightmare Alley. And (laughs) we hope that you come back. Uh, Uh, Can't wait for the Oscars next week. Oh yeah, can't wait, can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Adios, amigos.